Let's look at someone who's an example to us in obedience, in Abraham. But first, I want us to think about obedience. Why do we have such a hard time with obedience? Why does obedience have such a negative connotation? Why does everything in our culture and in our lives tell us to be independent? To answer to no one but ourselves, to make a God in our own image, and not be obedient to anyone. Because after all, obedience, that's for children and dogs, right? It's not for adults. I don't have to be obedient to anyone. And our culture says that to us over and over and over again. So what does obedience look like for a Christian? What does obedience look like for a follower of Christ? So when I first came to Sanford, I kind of went around and talked to a lot of different people, business owners, waitresses, uh, pastors, people in local ministry, anyone who I could, could talk to, I tried to create relationships with. So I was introduced with uh, a local businessman who's something of a uh, Christian mogul. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but he has many businesses and uh, he's very, very well off. And you can tell by the way he, he dresses and you can tell by what he, he drives. And you can tell by the way he, he, he talks, uh, what things he values. So we sat down, he took me out to breakfast and he asked me, what's your vision for the church? So I told him. So I explained, tell, based on Psalm 96 two, There were going to be people who teach truth, who exalt Christ, who love the Lord and who lead in the spirit. And he probably gave me the best compliment I could ever receive by being completely confused. He had no idea with what to do with that. Because in his church, his pastor's vision is to have a 10,000 member congregation. And his pastor's vision is to have this mighty brand that is known all over. And that they're known for all these big things that they do. But the vision that I had for this little church, he said, that could be done with 10 people. What's the point? And I said, exactly. So that is exactly the point. Because I knew God called me to be obedient. Obedient with little. And I couldn't be entrusted with much until I was faithful with the little. And obedience looks very much like that in the Christian life. It's not always flashy. It is rarely what the world is going to celebrate. And normally the things that God is using to grow us are difficult. And they seem small. Many times most people are not going to recognize them in us. But obedience and things of God is what brings heavenly reward, and that's what Abraham looked toward. So we're going to look at Abraham's journey, Abraham's obedience, and what that means for us. So if you'd uh, open your Bibles, we're in Hebrews chapter 11 still. we got a big section this morning. We're in verse 8. There's so much here, as usually there is. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called. To go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the call to Abraham that is the same call to us today. Go out. Follow me. I have an inheritance to you. Trust me. I am faithful. 
Be faithful as I am faithful. Be obedient to me. Lord, let this text speak to us. Let your spirit guide our minds and our hearts. Lord, direct us, teach us, and counsel us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when we started this chapter in Hebrews 11, we started with verse 1, which many of us have memorized and which we've used so many different times. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Those two principles, the things hoped for and things not seen, are the lens with which we're going to see the rest of this entire chapter. Each one of these examples has faith in something that is hoped for and has a conviction in things that are not seen. That's why Abraham is the example of faith. Because Abraham is the ultimate example of a hope that is unseen and a conviction in the word of God. And so I want to kind of paint that picture because in our verse this morning, verse 8, it begins with, by faith, Abraham. Every one of us should know who Abraham is. And if you don't, come see me, please. But we're going to talk about Abraham a, a little bit and get, a, and get a sense of why is Abraham mentioned here and what is Abraham's role throughout the Bible? Abraham is arguably the most important figure in all of Scripture next to Christ. He is the figurehead of all of the world's three largest religions. So for us, Abraham was the first one called out. He was called out to be the people of God. There's a transition. If you look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, it is all a result of the fall. So when the fall came and sin entered the world, we see the consequences of that. We see the flood. We see the Tower of Babel. And we see the wickedness among men. And it was hard for God to find faithful men. There were only a couple. But when he called Abraham out, he was doing something different. He's going to make a people for himself. And so Abraham is the beginning of God's people, but he also blessed all of the nations. And so for Christians and Jews, Abraham begins... The formation of God's people. And for Islam, Abraham is also the figurehead of their religion. But they trace their line back to Ishmael. We know the prophecies over Ishmael. And you can see those start to come through. And so probably two-thirds of the people on the planet who have some kind of religious founding, Abraham is instrumental to. But it doesn't stop there. Because when the writer of Hebrews wants to talk about who is an example of faith, Abraham is mentioned three times. Why is Abraham so important? Especially since if you read through Genesis, his flaws are on full display. Abraham is very weak. Abraham was a coward in many instances. But the way that Abraham believed and trusted God was his righteousness. We're going to see that this morning. I think it's important for us to see that many times we feel like we can't be an example, we can't be a witness because of all of our flaws. The Bible shows us the flaws of the patriarchs and of the heroes for a reason. So that we can recognize that we don't need to be perfect either. Because if Abraham didn't have any flaws, we'd be tempted to worship Abraham as the Jews do. So we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Before we get into the text itself in Genesis 12, where God explains what 
he's doing in Abraham and in his people. I want to look at another famous reference to this. If you turn to Acts chapter 7 with me. One of the best speeches or sermons, if you want to call it that, in all of the New Testament is Stephen. When Stephen was about to be martyred, he was stood before the, the high priests who were calling him into condemnation. He gave them a spoonful of their own medicine, so to speak. He said, you want to condemn me? Let me give you your history and show you how this all points to Christ. So in Acts chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 2. Stephen addresses the elders and says, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land into which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. The story of Israel, and Stephen eventually will get to Christ and the one that they slain and the one that Abraham was looking forward to, cannot be told without Abraham. And we're going to get into Isaac and Jacob and his language of covenant more next week. But now I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 12. So the writer of Hebrews and Stephen both claim Abraham as where this faith has begun. So where does it begin? So as they say, let's begin at the beginning. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at a couple details here and move through this quickly. And then we're going to see what the writer of Hebrews wants us to learn from this passage. So Genesis chapter 12, starting at the beginning. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So a couple things to talk about here. We're not going to talk about how he was 75. It's a whole different story and lifespans were a little bit different back then. Uh, but when we look at our Bible studies, we always look at what are the words that are repeated. For those of you who are very precise, uh, you're going to see that you is repeated 12 times. So there's, there's an emphasis on God. He is speaking to Abraham directly. But the real emphasis here is the word bless, which is repeated five times in five different ways for different circumstances. So God is saying, go out. The call for Abraham is simple. Go out, because I intend to bless you. That is in contrast to the cursing that we have seen, the effects of the fall for the first 11 chapters. Now, blessing is used five times in three verses. As many as the first 11 chapters of the Bible combined. So blessing is the major theme of Abraham's life. And blessing is the major theme for the rest of Scripture, and is in contrast to that curse. And if you look in this passage, look at how God speaks in verse 2. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The way that God declared to Abraham how he would work is what we've seen throughout all of redemptive history. It begins personally, began with one man, the call to Abraham. It broke out into a national call of blessing. He brought a people in, Israel. And then all the families on the earth through Christ will be blessed. And ultimately we are a share in that same blessing, the faith of Israel, the blessing of God for those who obey him. But first, he was called out of his comfort zone. So I want you guys to think about this for a minute. Because when we move across country, across town, we've got a few resources at our disposal, right? We can drive by the new house, the new piece of land. We can look it up on a map. Uh, we can check weather patterns. We can yelp the best restaurants. Uh, we can pull up TripAdvisor to see what there's to do in the area. We can go online and search for churches. We can do all these things when we move. We have everything at our disposal we need to make the most informed decision possible. But the call on Abraham, none of that. Imagine being in your father's land. So there's a uh, map. We're going to pull this up. It's really hard to find a high death map of Abraham's journey. This is the best that I could find. So if you look at the bottom right hand corner of the map, there's a body of water there. That's the Persian Gulf. The first city that you see westward is Ur. So this is where they think that the Garden of Eden was, Mesopotamia, where all these rivers converge, this very fertile land. And that's where Abraham was. And that's where his father lived. It's probably the place of the, the, the Tower of Babel. And so this is probably a seed of wickedness. And we, we heard that those people, is that me pounding? Someone pounding on the door? Um, I didn't know if I was hitting my mic or not. So uh, we have this wicked area where uh, everyone comes together trying to play God and he disperses them out. And we know that his father was a pagan, was a polytheist, had many gods. But he's called from Ur up to Haran. So if you kind of trace that, that line through Babylonia, through Mari, through Assyria, up to Haran. Now that area is called the Fertile Crescent. Now he couldn't go straight over to Canaan, which would be modern day Israel. Because that big open space in the middle, that's the Arabian Desert. That is death for sure. So the Fertile Crescent stretches up this half moon shape and back down across the Mediterranean Sea. So that's 500 miles from Ur to Haran. And it's not just 75-year-old Abraham and his wife. It's, it's their family and their servants and their herds, which are probably in the hundreds, if not thousands. And Lot and all of his family and all of their herds. That's a slow trek. They have no idea where they're going. So he gets up to Haran uh, with, with his, his father, Terah, and everyone else. And God, uh, Stephen says the call began at Ur. Genesis says the call was in Haran, but either way, the journey begins from Haran down to where you see Damascus and Shechem. That begins uh, Canaan, this, this land that is very strategic. Because if you see along the Mediterranean Sea here, uh, you have the Mediterranean Sea on the right and the Arabian Desert, or excuse me, Mediterranean Sea on the left and the Arabian Desert on the right. If you want to get to Egypt, if you want to get back over to Babylon, you have to come through Canaan. 
Canaan is the most strategic land in all of the Middle East. So God promised that to his people. Abraham had no idea where this was. He couldn't pull it up on on, on MapQuest. He had probably never met anyone who was there. But he followed God's direction. And God said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So this has a, a very physical aspect to it. But there's a very spiritual undercurrent as well. Because when he tells them to go from your father's house and from your kindred, he's not just saying to leave them behind physically, but he's saying leave behind the pagan ways of your father. Leave everything. Follow me. Those words sound familiar. Because Abraham could not obey God and be faithful to God, surrounded by all these other small g gods. And so he's saying, leave everything behind. Have no connection to your former way of life because I'm doing something new in you. I'm doing something great in you. And none of those other gods are going to have anything to do with this. This is the same call that is placed on our life. Leave behind everything. Die to yourself. Die to the world. Die to your flesh. Follow me. But where, God? Where are we going? You're going to see in a moment how Abraham responds to that. Because Abraham didn't just go blindly. He, go, he went following the voice and the words of God. He also went following the promises of God. Because look at what drives verses 2 and 3. God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. And those who dishonor you, I will curse. And in in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is driving this. I will do it. I will do it. By my holy name, I swear this to you and my people. So Abraham responds in faith. And all the nations of the world will be blessed through him. So we're going to get into that more next week. We don't have time for that this morning. But I want to ask us, I want us to ask ourselves, can we expect something different than Abraham? Because the same God has promised the same to us that he promised to Abraham. Come, follow me and I will bless you. I will give you an inheritance. But do we try to do it differently than Abraham? Do we try to control every aspect? Do we try to second guess God? Do we try to do it in our own strength and in our own way? We are Abraham's children by faith, which we'll see next week. We're going to get into Romans 4 and Galatians 3 that really talk about being the children of Abraham by faith. The writer of Hebrews tells us, or excuse me, um, the writer of Hebrews does tell us, but Stephen also tells us that he's looking forward to Christ. So I want to look at at Jesus' words before we get back into Hebrews in John 8. Because Jesus has this very interesting exchange with the, the Jews at the time. So remember we said earlier that the Jews get all of their identity. They're a national people still. Their, to, their connection to God is not spiritual as it should have been. They were told to circumcise their hearts and be a spiritual people. They have a biological connection to Abraham. We are the, we are, we are the bloodline of Abraham. We have Abraham as our father biologically. But Jesus recognizes the treachery in their heart. And so if you look at John chapter 8, 
Um, I'm going to highlight a few verses because this is a big section. I'm not going to read the entire thing. But just want to kind of set the stage here. In much of Jesus' ministry, he's debating and arguing with the Jewish leaders of the time. And he told his disciples that I was sent for the lost sheep of Israel. So first, he must give them every opportunity to repent. He must show them that I am the Messiah that you were looking forward to. I am the one that Abraham was looking forward to. But they were still holding on to what was seen. Remember back to Hebrews 1. It's the conviction or the assurance of things not seen. The Jews only held on to what was seen. Look at this exchange beginning in verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus says to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works that your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God. And I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Stop there for a moment. Abraham believed because he could hear the voice of God. He heard God's voice and he followed. The Pharisees, those wanting some physical inheritance, an inheritance in a man, could not hear God. Jesus knew that. Their ears were not open. Let's skip down to verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the word of God, the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is a strong statement. This is bold. I think standing in the religious leader's face and saying, you are not of God. You can't hear him. You are deaf to the words of God. This is a powerful statement that Jesus is saying. Because in that culture, everything depended on Abraham. And so if you sever the Jews from Abraham, they have nothing. Because they don't know God. They can't hear him. This exchange continues and Jesus um, doubles down to their responses. They respond in verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. This is that nice and friendly greeting card, Jesus, that everyone really likes, right? But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it. And was glad. Jesus connects the faith of Abraham. Because by following the promises of God, he's looking forward to Christ. All of the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ. Anyone who follows the promises of God, even before Christ's incarnation, saved by their faith in Jesus. Jesus draws this line in the sand. Either you hear me because I am from God, I am the promises of God incarnate, or you are listening to your father, the devil, and you are deaf, and you are dead where you stand. So Jesus brings this together for us. 
Abraham looked forward to me and he rejoiced. So what brought Abraham out of his father's land, out of paganism? The promise of the one who is to come, the promise of the ultimate blessing. Now that Jesus gives us the spiritual underpinnings here, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 8. And there's three things that our text tells us about Abraham's calling. His obedience, his inheritance, and his ignorance. We're going to talk about each one of those things briefly. Uh, He obeyed when he called. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place that he was to receive as their inheritance. Um, a lot of you know that I love reading the Puritans. I have this quote up here from Thomas Manton, and I wrote it about 1640. If you ever feel prideful or arrogant, read the Puritans. If you ever need to be humbled, because uh, they make me feel like a pagan, just because they're, they're, they're so rich and deep. They didn't have the distractions that we had. They had hearts fully devoted to God. I love what he says about obedience. Thomas Manton says this, Obedience is the daughter of faith. Faith hath not only to do with the grace of God, but the duty of the creature. By apprehending grace, it works upon duty. It fills the soul with the apprehensions of God's love and then makes us makes use of the sweetness of love to urge us to more work and obedience. I love that line that obedience is the daughter of faith. This inseparable relationship that out of faith is born obedience. And obedience comes from understanding God's grace and his love for us, which should bring us to understanding of the sweetness of the grace that we've received and continue back into obedience. This process of how God works in us, his grace, his love, an outpouring of obedience. Attributed to Abraham here, there are two verbs one is obeyed and the other is went. So you've got the, the um, inward and the outward uh, responses to faith. He obeyed. In his heart, he obeyed God. And then he went. His actions followed it. These two cannot be divorced. If you are to follow God in faith, it must be internal and external. You can't be at war with each other. It is impossible to obey inside without obeying in your actions, without going and acting on the promises of God. We know what happens when those two are severed from each other. If you say, yes, I obey, but I don't do it, what good is that? And if I'm, and if I'm doing it begrudgingly, not obeying, being resentful and rebellious in my heart, it is not obedience at all. Because God sees right through all of that phoniness. But Abraham, as our example, he obeyed. His mind and his heart trusted in God. And he went and he followed God. And Abraham is that pattern of faith. And faith is no faith at all if it's not acted on. Noah built an ark. He heard the words of God. He obeyed and did it. Moses, go back to Egypt to get your people out of Egypt. And he heard and he did it. Disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They heard the words of God and they responded in faith. Not because they were, they were, they were great men in and of themselves, but because they had faith in a great God. 
who is faithful in his promises. And the call on Abraham is the same as the call on us. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit has stirred within you. And you can hear the words of God. And it is always a call from a God of our own making that Jay talked about earlier. To the true and living God who is always faithful in his promises and who his promises have come to fruition in Christ. It's no different. God is calling us from paganism and wickedness into blessings that last forever. Let's be honest. Our first inclination is not to obey, but to question. This is particularly hard for some of us, those who have control problems, like myself. Wait. God, where am I going? What's going to happen? Uh, lay it out for me. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, but um, I, I need all of this set up first. And that's our temptation. We have so much information. We have so much at our disposal that we have a hard time trusting in God unless everything makes sense. But Abraham heard God's word. It was purely his word. And he went faithfully. That is what we should be. I love what Bruce Waltke says. He says, Christians are people of the ear, not people of the eye. Such a great summary that Christians are people of the ear, not people of the eye. Over and over and over again in Scripture, our eyes get us in trouble. And we know that from our own lives. Jesus told us it would be better to be blind and to go with both eyes into hell. I love this. People of the ear. Because we are to go on what we hear, not on what we see. Faith is many times and most times the unseen. So secondly, we're going to look at inheritance. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. So he left the earthly inheritance. He left the earthly safety and comfort of his father. His father's gods and the riches of the Babylonian lands and acted on faith and went out and followed God. Faith is acting on God's promises for the sake of God's inheritance, not our own. Again, this goes back to that first verse. We see this here, that he had hope for future things, and he had a conviction of the things not seen. These future things, the inheritance to come, Stephen tells us Abraham didn't fully realize it. Abraham did not see the fulfillment of living in Canaan. His seed, his his, uh, biological seed are there today. But Abraham was ultimately looking forward to when all of his people, throughout all times, his children through faith would dwell in that land, the new Jerusalem, God's land in Canaan. And it takes great faith to step out and to grab an inheritance instead of holding on to the bird that is in our hand that we want to crush and hold so delicately. But our inheritance is not a bird in the hand. It's being lifted up on eagle's wings. It is the glorious rest and peace that Jay couldn't find in anything else, that we couldn't find in anything else. The peace and joy that comes from being pulled out of our sin and out of paganism into the blessings of God. 
And C.S. Lewis really understood this. One of his most famous, famous sermons, The Weight of Glory, uh, this is in his introduction, and I think it's really helpful. Uh, C.S. Lewis is, is, is another one. If you think that, that you're smart, read C.S. Lewis for about five minutes, and you realize uh, that, that, no, you're not. Um, so I, I love what, what, what he says this about the rewards of God and what we do in our own lives. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition, while infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Why is Abraham a great example of faith? Because he wasn't pleased with the comfort of his father's house. God rarely calls us to something easy, and he rarely calls us into comfort. He calls us out of comfort. And for most of us, for most of our lives, comfort looked like mud pies. Things that we thought were great, that were going to build us up. But when we look at children playing in the dirt and we see the innocence sort of and just the naivete that, that comes with such small things, we see that in our own lives. How often are we playing in the mud and not looking at the inheritance that we have in Christ? How often are we on our knees in the dirt with our face to the ground when our eyes and our hands should be lifted up to the heavens? This is what Abraham hoped for. And the reward of his obedience was going from the slum to the seaside. For all of us who are in Christ and for the gospel that we proclaim, that's what it is. Don't ever be ashamed of the gospel because it is a call from the slum in the mud to the beach. It is a call from darkness and emptiness to fulfillment. And the third is ignorance. It's not something we talk about in church. How can, this is another thing that's very anti-American, right? Uh, how is ignorance ever a good thing? I want to have all the answers. I want to have all the information all the time. But in this, faith cannot be possible without ignorance. What do you mean by that? Because if we knew everything, we'd be God. But if we knew everything, we wouldn't have to trust God. Abraham is our example in faith because he went out not knowing where he was going. Most people's greatest fear is the unknown. And if you think about the things that, that, that terrify you, it is normally what you don't know. What's going to happen in this new job, in this new city? What are these people going to think of me? How are they going to respond? What's going to happen if it rains, if I get in an accident? Have you ever met those people who are scared that the bad thing is always going to happen? It's exhausting. I don't know how you do it. But normally our fears are the unknown because ultimately we're back in the garden wanting to be like God. We want to know everything. So I want to ask you, can you trust in God when you don't know what's coming next? Especially when you don't know what's coming next. I don't know where he's leading me. 
when I don't know what my reward is or when it will come, can we trust God? Can we, be, can we obey when it's not easy or convenient? We are a convenient people in a culture of convenience and comfort. Does not take much to obey when it's comfortable, convenient, or easy. One more thing about Abraham. You think people around you think you're crazy that you're a Christian? Imagine Abraham's family. Everyone who had ever known, he leaves. So where are you going? I'm following the voice of a God. Which God? Is it the God over there on that pole? The God over there carved into this rock? No, the God that you can't see. They thought Abraham was crazy. And it should be the same way with us. Well, why do you go to church every Sunday morning? Just go to the beach today. Why do you read your Bible? Why won't you, why won't you look at this? Why won't you read this? Why won't you participate with us? Why won't you come out and get drunk with us? It's crazy to the rest of the world. But we are following the God that fulfilled his promises to Abraham in us 5,000 years later. That same God is still fulfilling his promises and he has more people out there. Now, I just want to say this. Many people abuse this. It would be foolish, and I repeat foolish, to walk out in blind faith and just say, I'm going to go and do something with no information if that does not come from God. Many people use God told me to do this. God is calling me to do this as an excuse to say, I'm going to do something reckless. I'm going to do something uh, that I, I really want to do. And I'm just tagging God's name onto it. It would be foolish to do that. But our faith is not blind. Often it is without sight, but it is never without vision. Our faith is not blind. Often it is without sight, but it is never without vision. Because our vision is fixing our eyes on the founder and perfecter of our faith. And with that, we can see all things clearly. So how do we conclude this morning? If Abraham is our father and our pattern for faith, we would respond to God's call of obedience like he did. Knowing that we have the same inheritance he did. Even if we're ignorant to what comes next. As Abraham looked to Christ, so should we. As Abraham found hope in his eternal inheritance in Christ, so should we. As Abraham trusted God in spite of his righteousness, so should we. Because his ways are higher than our ways. And his reward is greater than any mud pie we can play in here on earth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your call on our lives. Thank you that you called us out of our wickedness, that you called us out of our sin into your marvelous light. Thank you that you have never left us. You have never forsaken us and your promises are true. Thank you for the blessings we share in because of Abraham. Thank you that we can share in that faith in the same God. Let us be people who are obedient. Let us be people who look to a heavenly inheritance and the things that bring ultimate joy. And let us to rejoice in our ignorance. Let us rejoice in the fact that we have to humbly submit to you and trust in you, God, because you are worthy of all of our trust. Lord, we love you and we praise you. 
so much to be thankful for in you. You're good to us. We don't deserve it. Help us to be obedient. Please forgive us in our disobedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.